Hey, cats and kittens, welcome back to Drive to HR. This is Dwayne Lay sitting in the captain's chair for our episode today. Uh, as you know, we love talking all things technology and process and people and recruiting and HR and all of the above. Uh, so today we are going to dive into exactly those things. So on the show today, we have uh, Chris Murdoch from IQ Talent. So Chris, uh, why don't you give the folks a little introduction into who you are and what your organization is all about? Uh, yes, uh, Chris Murdoch. I'm the co-founder of IQ Talent Partners. Um, we founded the company, my, my business partner, Tom Millick, and I founded the company in uh, 2009. Uh, so it's been a while. Before that, I worked at Yahoo as part of the in-house executive recruiting team. And before that, I spent uh, about five years at Hydrogen Struggles and before that, TMP Worldwide. So uh, if you do the math, I've been doing this uh, 22 years uh, this year. Um, and I identify, you know, primarily as a research and sourcer. I, I've done the recruiting thing, but I'm I'm a I'm a researcher. I'm a sourcer, um, and I love all things, uh, you know, tools and and process. Cool. So for for anyone who's not clear on it, how do you delineate between a researcher, sourcer, and a recruiter? You know, it's funny. We we have this debate with our you know clients all the time because we the way we par partner with our clients. You know, we we offer research, we offer sourcing, we offer recruiting, and they go, well, what is the, what, what are the differences? They ask that all the time. Uh, research is the name gen. And so when we think of research projects, we're doing two months worth of work in a, in a, in a, in a half a week. You know, we're trying to, to do market mapping, we're trying to rank the candidates, we're, we're, we're doing all that work you would do over the life cycle of a search. You're trying to, to get it done in days. So that's that's what we look at research, market mapping, heat mapping, where should we put a new office? We do that with those types of exercises. Um, who were the you know the people that did all the mega projects in construction and where are all the software engineers that know uh, PHP? All of those things, you know, those are the types of things we call research. Sourcing okay. is the research and engagement and the pre-screen. So it's, you know, they'll identify, you know, 50, 60 people, contact them, those that are responding interested, we screen them, uh, and we hand over the ones that are interested and qualified. So that's what IQ Talent stands for, Interested Qualified Talent. Oh, very good. Uh, cool. I like that. Okay, yep. okay. And then recruiting, full life cycle recruiting is everything, all the way through from soup to nuts, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, building out a list of research and getting that person's butt in the seat. Okay. Okay. So what is it that attracts you to this industry? You know, you spend a lot of time in it, obviously it's something you enjoy. Um, so why, what is it that brought you here? Um, I've always been curious. Like that's, that's, that's the number one overarching theme of my life is, is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I love, it's, it's really weird. I, I was a history major uh, at Vanderbilt I graduated with a degree in history and it's not about memorizing what happened. It's understanding how something happened and why. And, and, it's, and it's less about memorizing dates, which is high school mm -hmm. history. But yeah. in, in, at university, I gravitated towards that, the, the history side of things because I was so curious as to like why and how certain things happened and getting to the, the nuts and bolts. And you do the same thing with people's histories and companies. When you're recruiting for a company, you're like, what, why does a person want to come to work here? What makes them different um, uh, as a client? Or as a as an employer, and then from you know talking to candidates and 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 engaging with people, 
what makes them tick? What would what really would make them interesting? How did they get to this point in their careers? And is this going to be the right next step? So, so we're going to yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go off script just a little bit as a Good. as a history major. It, and it's interesting you say that. Um, you know, we were talking uh, before we started recording. I've got a, a soon to be college freshman, and one of the things they talked about is that the the history classes are the second most writing intensive classes next to English. And they're really focusing on exactly what you're talking about, the not just what happened, but why. Yeah, and, and I was more, an English minor. Analysis. And I was an oh, English so minor. All the writing. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. So, so what is your favorite period of history? If you're gonna, if you're gonna pick up a book to read, or if you're gonna sit down and talk to somebody, what's your favorite period of history? World War Two. Okay. And all and right. if you wanna, if you wanna read a book that that will encapsulate the entire Pacific theater, uh, read At Dawn We Slept. At dawn we slept. Okay, like do you remember who wrote that? Pages. I can't remember the name of the author, but I've read it okay. twice, and it's phenomenal. It it gives you both sides of you know from Pearl Harbor, everything leading up to it and after. Okay, all right. So that's a, a good plug there for the listeners, and we'll uh, we'll tweet that out with a link to it as well on Amazon or or whatever your bookstore is of choice. We'll make sure that that uh, that gets shared out with folks. Thank you for that. Um, I've always been uh, not always as I've gotten into history, um, I've been more interested in the American Revolution period. Uh, probably because of Hamilton, like everybody else, you know, I, I memorized that. Um, but what I've always been interested in is that I've never seen the story of, um, of Knox and Fort Ticonderoga really told. And it's a fascinating story. This, what, 24-year-old bookseller who gets sent to Canada to basically take cannons out of their fort and drag them across the tundra before the British show up. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal story, and I've never seen it really focused on. Um, I think it was Rise to Rebellion is where I read that for the first time. So, but it's uh, it's fascinating stuff to be sure. So, uh, okay, we can we can sit and talk history for a long time. I have a, I have a feeling. So maybe we'll do a show just on that. My um, daughter, my daughter is. We've listened to Hamilton, but now she's she's been reading all these books on the Revolutionary period, uh, War period, yeah. and you she can't read them fast enough. She's eight, and she cannot wow. read these books fast enough. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a whole list of books that uh, on that time period that uh, my dad kind of got me into those. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, about the recruitment space and about the work you all were doing. Um, for organizations, when you come in to work with someone or when they contact you to work with them, um, I would imagine there's some initial setup that has to be done. There's some kind of a um, clearing the deck, so to speak, to make sure that you're set up properly. How do you go about when you when you start working with someone, or if we've got listeners out there saying, "Hey, we need a we need a service like yours that can help us out with things." How do they prepare for success? What are they? What's your advice to them to start off? Treat it as if we're part of the in-house team. How would you onboard your own recruiters? How would you onboard your own uh, sourcers? Because we, we bring the people, we bring the process, and we bring the tools. But if our clients already have a really good process and they already have you know, great tools, we're bringing people. And, and our team, regardless of whether it's at the account manager stage where we're kicking off a project, doing you know, figuring out what the scope is, how many people are needed, we treat that the same way that we trick off to, uh, you know, kick off a search with our client, with a client or a hiring manager, mm -hmm. very detailed questions. We really want to get to the heart of what's needed. Um, and, you know, we want to make sure that we have the right kind of, you know, right size team 
do you have, how many open recs do you have? How many fills do you need to make over the next few quarters? Is it just a three month hiring ramp? Is it a six month hiring ramp? And then we'll pull that, we'll pull, you know, work backwards and, and pull the team together. We, we're asking, you know, what applicant tracking systems are you using? What CRMs are you using, if any? Um, what's the response, what are the response rates? What's the typical time to fill? All of those things that we kind of need to know in order to you know, bring the right people to the table. And then our team um, uh, will, you know, do the kickoff meetings. It's very thorough. Um, and within 24 hours, we're doing calibration. You know, we're, we want to make sure because we are by the hour and we are on demand, we find that the more effective uh, and efficient we are in the beginning, the better we are long-term. And so that first two weeks, we have this first two weeks uh, process that we that we really push, and you'll probably enjoy this, Dwayne. Um, in those first two weeks, if you're not engaging with people by the, if you don't have someone ready to go on the phone with you by the end of that first week, or at least the beginning of the se of the second week, and you're not ready to submit someone by the end of that second week, they're going to get their invoice, and they're going to go, I don't have anything to show for it. So we have, we focus on that sense of urgency and being effective up front. And we do that by leveraging our tools, by leveraging our intake and, and by understanding who our clients are from, from right from the get-go so that we're getting people in process immediately. And if okay. we don't, there's a sense of urgency. You, you, you raise your hand and say, something's not working. And if something's not working, we try to fix it internally. If it's still not working, then we'll go to the client and say, We've, we've messaged 500 people, two people have responded. Mm -hmm. We've looked at Glassdoor reviews and things aren't really great out there. How do we overcome this? And we do that all the time. Okay. That's worst case so, scenario. So, so when you have those situations, when you've got, um, when you've got clients that have, let's, let's, let's use the ugly baby uh, comparison, right? Like it's just not working. People aren't, people aren't responding. People aren't coming in. Um, where do you start with those clients to help them kind of rebuild their system to, is it a matter of um, sitting down and doing a full analysis end to end on where you're falling out? Are you asking their pain points? Like what's your process for helping them be successful? Well, typically you can't just come out and say, this is, this isn't working. They, they need to hire, they have shareholders. They, you know, if they're a public company, they are responsible for getting these jobs filled and they want to do that. Um, Typically, we will point out, we will give them all the data. Here, are, you know, we're very transparent about number of people identified and contacted, how many people responded, uh, interested or not interested. We will capture why they're not, if possible. Um, and if we can't figure out why, if people aren't telling us why they're not respond, uh, you know, responsive, we'll dig. We'll look mm -hmm. for reviews on all the different sites. Glassdoor isn't the only place. Um, we'll look for stuff, the bad reputations, uh, articles that are negative so that we can figure it out. And if we start to see those types of things, we, we will be very transparent. Here's what's happening. Mm -hmm. we, need, we need your help in overcoming this. You have a new management team. How is that being communicated? How do you want us to communicate that? And we'll actually tweak the outreach messaging to even confront those things head on and say, yes, there was a miscue here. Uh, we've got new leadership in place that are trying to overcome this um, and and go from there. It's just it's about transparency and communication. Okay. So let's think about um, for a new customer coming in, 
what did they do to make sure that they can be successful with you as quickly as possible? What's the pre-work you give to them? To it's the same thing to solve the issues, transparency and communication. Um, we, you know, uh, we've already established that IQ Talent Partners is a cheesy acronym. I love it. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know it's cheesy. I think it's clever. Well, we, well, it's a dad joke. It's, it is a perpetual dad joke. It's, it's 12 years old. Um, <laughs> but there was a, you know, everybody talks about the, the marketing funnel, you know, top of the funnel when it comes to sourcing and recruiting. That's a marketing term. And mm -hmm. if you think about the top of the funnel, that's the entire candidate pool. You never call everyone all at once. It has always annoyed the heck out of me. And, and it's like, no, you start targeted. Mm -hmm. And then you start to expand out. You're, you're calling people that you have networked with or you know or referrals. You're starting really targeted or you've targeted what we call diamond candidates. These are people that have 95% of what you're looking for in their profile or their resume, whatever's public. And you start there and you expand out. You're reducing the criteria and you're trying to, you actually have to have more and more conversations to screen people in or out of the process. So we call this the diamond recruiting process. Start targeted, mm -hmm. go wide, and then you come down to a butt in the seat. So kind of diamond shaped. Yeah, it makes sense. And we have the four C's. You know, you have the four C's of buying a diamond, mm -hmm. cut, color, clarity, and color. Okay. Well, we have- I think, that's you said color twice. Yeah. Okay, carrots. Uh, color, carrots, carrots. that's it, that's yeah. it. And you have two different phases of a search. So the top of the diamond is the engagement phase. The mm -hmm. bottom part of the diamond is the evaluation phase. Okay. In the engagement phase, collaboration and calibration are of the utmost importance. So, if you're, if we, if we have a collaborative and calib and a, cal a collaborative environment, and we are constantly calibrating, you know, when you submit a candidate and they don't make it through, find out why. Mm -hmm. If somebody made it through, find out why, so that you can keep screening better and better and get target more and more targeted and, and become more and more effective. And then in the evaluation phase, it's candidates and culture. That's what you're, mm. you're, you're trying to uh, you know, compare the two. Are they, is this candidate gonna be good for the culture? Is this culture good for the candidate? It can't mm -hmm. just go, it's gotta be bi-directional. So, and so that's, the, that's how we have, that's yeah. our philosophy. And so as long as the clients understand that collaboration and calibration and a lot of communication, and that's all communication, we will get you candidates. We will get you, we will bring candidates to the table. Yeah. You know, I, I worked with a uh, recruiting organization a few years back and I, one of the things I thought was really clever and I've not seen it done very much. Um, they worked with a lot of external recruiters. This was in, uh, in Ireland. And they actually had a system set up where their external recruiters got a bonus, a pretty significant bonus, if they hired the first candidate that was presented to them. And it was all about incentivizing you to get to know the organization, get to know the hiring manager, everything you've said, get in depth, get to know it, bring me one, bring me the one. Because if I can hire the one the first try, I've saved so much time and money, it's worth it for me to pay like a 50% on top. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we, we, we do, we're strict, strictly hourly. We don't have any kind of bonuses or incentives, you know, uh, like that. we we find that the more effective we are, the longer term, the longer the relationship we have a client sure. we've had, we came up with this mod, this model in 2013, but it really didn't take hold and in, in, until 2014. And we've got, we've had a client for it's, it, it'll be, this will be the seventh year anniversary. That's fantastic. Because it's be of this client relationship. And we have other clients that, you know, they need us for, you know, hiring spurt. 
you know, growth spurt, mm -hmm. and then they don't need us anymore. They put us on hold and then they bring us back for the next one. So we have long-term relationships where we really have become ingrained in the process. Uh, we really understand the culture and that's allowed us to stay and, and, and have long lasting relationships, which was the whole point of right. coming up with this business model because I got tired of selling. I am yeah. selling commissioned uh, retained searches. I'm not a sales guy. I'm a relationship guy. And this mm -hmm. really gave us the opportunity to build relationships. Uh, let's do a quick reset. Uh, this is Drive Through HR, as I'm hoping everybody who's listening already knows. Um, so uh, this is Dwayne Lay. I'm uh, I'm in the captain's chair today. I'm joined by Chris Murdoch and Mike Butella. And and I have to tell you, you know, your your comment that your company name is is just a dad joke, um, which are my favorite kind, obviously. Um, do you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? No. When the punchline becomes apparent. <sighs> there it is. There That's it is. so great. That's so great. I actually I, have to give my, I've got to give my daughter a plug here. Um, my daughter, she was so upset um, that her mom was published in a journal. My wife is a pediatric hematologist, oncologist with a specialty in pediatric transfusion medicine. It's a mouthful. It, I can, it, eight years it's taken me, uh, but I can say it in one breath. Um, she got published in a journal. I got published in the Vanderbilt alumni magazine. Mm -hmm. And my, my daughter, Ella, who's very competitive. She was seven mm -hmm. at the time. She's like, dad, when am I going to get in a magazine? And I said, I don't know. And she wrote, she came up, she came home with a joke, which we submitted to a magazine, mm -hmm. a little kid's magazine that has jokes at the end. And she got published. Fabulous. And the joke was, where do drinks go on vacation? I don't know. Mississippi. Oh, there it is. That's nice. That's nice. I like that. I like that a lot. That's really good. I had a, um, my my older son was in a spelling bee um and this is one of my favorite moments of, of our entire lives together he was in a spelling bee he was in like fifth or sixth grade and he was talking about one of the third graders um the, but the words were hard but the word was baroque b-a-r-o-u-k-e right or o-u-q-e yeah u-e and he's like yeah like kid, third graders aren't gonna know that word i'm like really i figured a third grader would definitely know that word he's like why i'm like they don't have jobs they're always baroque <laughs> and he he looks at me dead in the eye and he goes, "You've ruined my childhood." I just want you to know that. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I've done my job. Um, he's 18 now. He has started telling them himself. So, you know, it's it's hereditary. Um, I, I I do want to talk a little bit. I think your your pricing model is interesting. I've not heard a lot of um, external consultants that are or external like um, talent teams that are by the hour and on demand. How did you come to that model, and and how much do your customers love that? Well, it's, it, it's the business model one came about because I got tired of selling searches and because I'm not a sales guy. And I was the, you know, at the time, you know, in the beginning, I was the business development guy. My Tom was a finance guy. I, I asked him to, to join the, you know, to help me found the company because I needed somebody that was way more responsible than I am. You know, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I know what yep. I want to do and doing taxes, doing taxes, doing invoicing, doing payroll, not my thing. So I needed, to, I needed my boss. So Tom, Tom, Tom was my boss. So for the first few years, we did either flat rate research projects. And then eventually people asked me to do a couple of executive searches on retainer. Um, and then we had a client that um, asked us to do, you know, help them staff up their internal digital marketing. And we, we went back to that flat rate model and we realized 
one, we undercharged mm-hmm. um, and we, 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 we stuck to it. We stuck to it. But that's when I came up with this idea of, and, and I brought it to the, to the, to my business partners. What if we do these things by the hour, you know, charge sourcing and research at one rate, charge recruiting at another. And it was interesting enough to where when I talked, reconnected with David Winley, who was my boss's 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 boss at Yahoo, he was the CHRO of Yahoo. I mentioned it to him and he got excited. And this was in 2013, he joined the board. Like he asked, you know, said, this is really interesting. Let's, let's figure this out. And over the course of a year, he, he helped us hone the model. He, he loved the idea and got really excited about this idea of professional services on demand by the hour because he's he's been a consumer and and he he came at it from the consumer the client's perspective like i want to be able to ramp up hiring and then you know turn it off like turn it mm-hmm. down you always hire for a steady state but what happens if they're over they're right. not going to get you're not going to find a contract recruiter that's going to want to work for two months or three months they all want a year they all want 40 hours a week um or more you know, uh, longer than a year. So we came up with this idea of it's on us to make sure that we have enough clients coming in. We don't have salespeople. We, we don't do outbound business development. It's, uh, we have grown this business based on referrals, recommendations, word of mouth. And now we're actually starting to see some organic, you know, uh, organic clients um, uh, just from our uh, web uh, search uh, SEO efforts, I guess. You know, we're putting out a lot of content and we're building relationships. Again, it's, we're not trying to sell a relationship. We're building relationships. And right. you do that through just being, ha- having great people doing great work. That's cool. I like that. It's a, the, it, it's a much different approach. Um, but I think that you're right. You know, people, you, you don't staff for the peaks, right? You staff for the, for the, for the in-between. So, um, for, so, so one last thing I wanted to ask you about is from the candidate side. So, you know, you're the ones who are out in the market who are finding people to bring to, to your customers uh, or to your partners. So from the candidate perspective, uh, there's a lot of people in the job market right now. What can they do to make themselves more attractive to either to your team or to your clients? Um, how do they prepare themselves, especially those who are already in a job but are now looking for the next big thing. What is, what's your advice to them to, to get on the radar? Well, what's, what's interesting, you know, we, we do have, you know, people that are, you know, send their resumes to us and, and mm-hmm. we put it into our system and we've, we've, we've actually been, you know, successful at placing them, but because we work as an extension of the client's in-house mm-hmm. recruiting team, we typically are working with applicants on their side. So people okay. coming into to their systems, we're, we're rather unique that way. Okay. Um, but occasionally we'll get a, an executive, you know, that'll come in and we'll, we talk to them and, and eventually we'll have something for them. We, we don't shop a candidate around. Mm-hmm. We look for, if a candidate happens to match up with something that we're looking for, great. We put them forward and, and then it go, you know, the clients go from there or the member of our team take it from there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, when we are, you know, when a member of our team is is acting as a in-house recruiter, mm-hmm. they will they will often, you know, coach, you know, hiring managers that there is a difference between an applicant and a passive candidate. Mm-hmm. There is a there's a different mindset, and some hiring managers do have a bias against applicants. They prefer passive candidates, but not all passive. You know, if you want a passive candidate, you got to sell. It takes time, but if you have an applicant, it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, we do try to coach 
our candidates, regardless of whether they're applicants or passive candidates, how, you know, what the process is going to look like, what to expect, how to prepare. Um, and I think for a, a job seeker, preparation and understanding and doing your research and knowing why you're applying, what you're applying mm -hmm. to, um, avoid looking like a spam artist. You know, if, if, if you apply to 20 different jobs at a company, we see it. Don't do it <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, it doesn't show that you really know what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You have to under if, as an applicant in order to really separate yourself from the hundreds, potentially hundreds of other applicants, you've got to separate yourself by really knowing what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, and then uh, when you do um, not hear back from mm -hmm. applying to a job, making sure that you are networking um, into a job, contacting people that know people. And being a good networker um, uh, is being politely persistent. I, I teach this to our new sourcers, and, I, and we, 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 we preach polite persistence mm -hmm. internally here, but I also coach college students and job seekers. There's a way to be persistent that's going to be effective, and then there's pushy. If you're pushy, mm -hmm. they're not going to respond. If you're pushy, right. they're not going to help you. But if you are polite and you are gracious and you are, are you know, um, trying not to waste their time, you are going to be, um, you know, more, effect more effective at networking into a job. Mm -hmm. So the idea of sending your resume, like through the mail in an envelope full, full of glitter, is that generally a good idea? Is there anyone to uh, open it anymore? <laughs> I mean, I started so, when fa I, I had to input, I had to take mm -hmm. faxed resumes when I got started in 1999. Oof. I had to take faxed resumes uh, to this behemoth of a scanner to get them in, you know, to the system or manually input the data. Yeah. But I don't think that really happens much anymore. It's, it's, it goes both ways. I mean, if, 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 if a recruitment team is going to send a bunch of end mails, you should be end mailing people as well. And there are so many resources out there that'll help you find someone's work email that you can email them directly. And, mm -hmm. and so being politely persistent and not if somebody doesn't respond, don't say, hey, why haven't you responded? You say, hey, I'm just following up to another email that I sent previously. You know, just want to make sure you have my resume. I'm very interested mm -hmm. in this role. And here's why. There's no cover letter. It's your email now. Nobody reads cover letters. It's your email. What about cover letters that are sent in through a job site? So if someone's applying it, like through Indeed, they said, add a cover letter. If, I, I don't know of many people that read them anymore. If it may be part of the process, you know, it may be part of the, the application process. Mm -hmm. So having a really good one ready to go might be a good idea, but I just, I don't think you should be attaching it to an email unless it's requested. That makes a lot of sense. Again, uh, to your point, if you're sending an email out, that is your cover letter is the email yeah. you're sending. So fabulous. Uh, okay, this is good stuff. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how people find you, how they find IQ Talent. Um, why don't you drop some URLs and some uh, Twitter handles and whatnot on the team? Um, it's uh, IQ Talent is the Twitter handle. It's the Facebook handle. Um, but IQTalentPartners.com, all one word, no spaces. Mm -hmm. um, it's that's where you'll find us. Uh, you'll find me at linkedin.com uh, slash n slash c murdoch. Um, and then I'm also c murdoch on Twitter. 
Okay, fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. This is really good stuff. I, I like the approach you guys take. I like it's a it's a different way to look at how you service those clients. Um, and it sounds like you're having a lot of success with it. It's fantastic. Yep. And um, did you want to did you want to get into the debate about CRM? You can, let's do it. Let's do let's it. Do we'll, it. We'll extend. This is gonna be an extended. Let's, let's extend because you might be able to use okay. this separately because you got you you and I really got passionate about this. <laughs> So I'll let you open. Go. So, so one of you know when when you and I first had our kind of pre need just to get to know mm -hmm. one another, I brought up you know CRM. We talked about people. We talked about process, but then we talked about tools, and and I mentioned that sometimes CRMs are implemented to shore up weaknesses of an applicant tracking system, which is typically trying to shore up a weakness of a process. Yeah. that the ATS is supposed to fulfill and not all CRM implementations are needed. Not all CR, mm -hmm. not all applicant tracking systems are deployed properly. And when you, you and I started talking about why mm -hmm. the, the, ooh, we, it's like, we can have a good, we'll, we'll be able to like really have a good conversation there. So when I said those things, you jumped out, you kind of jumped so when I say those things, what, what, what got you jazzed about wanting to talk about that? So, so a big part of my life has been implementations, like getting software set up, getting all the things set up. And, and it's always, and, it, and, it's, and it's funny, like the first discussion we had, um, we're very similar mindset. It's, it's people, processes, tools in that order. Right. And there's so many times I've seen, to your point, a bad implementation because it's a bad process with people who aren't fully trained. Um, and then the system gets blamed. And so I've had many, many things in my life where people have said from day one, hey, we want to replace the system. We want to rip this thing out. We want to replace it. And I've always looked at it and said, you know, all you're doing is introducing chaos. Like, are your people trained? Like, do they know how to do their jobs? Do they know why it's important? Do you have processes in place to people actually follow them? Because if not, all you're doing is switching out the source of the chaos. You're not actually helping anybody and you're spending a lot of money in the process. Like that's, that's why it lit me up. I'm like, yeah, I've had this conversation so many times with people. Yeah. And it's, it comes down to, you know, if you, if, if you're, if you understand why you need the new system, mm -hmm. you should always go back and say, well, Hey, with the new system, can we fix the old system? Now that we understand what, what's needed, can the mm -hmm. old system, the, the current system fix be fixed and implemented yeah. and, and changed to fulfill those needs. And, and, if, and if your applicant tracking system does not have CRM functionality mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that you are keeping track of, you know, outreach and interested versus qualifieds and, you know, all those, all the metrics that you can't necessarily track in an ATS, then you can implement yeah. that CRM. You know, it's, you say that it's, it's very similar to the conversations I've had with, with people about cars which is like, oh, my car has a problem. I'm going to go buy a different car. It's like, well, that car is going to cost you, let's say $10,000. Can you, can you fix your existing car for less than that? Like, you know, mm -hmm. you need all that money spent. Systems are the same way. What's it going to cost you in time and effort to implement a new system? And can you fix your existing system for less? Yeah. And I think enough of the ATS systems now are starting to pay attention to the, the that need for CRM, that understanding, that engagement component of, mm -hmm. a, of a search. Applicants are fine. The process of once somebody's, you know, understanding the data around once somebody's in process, you know, that's mm -hmm. that's when an ATS takes over. 
you know, you, 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 once somebody says, yes, I'm interested, they go in, that's, that's compliance right there. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. They're in, uh, they're not interested. You can put them in there in their sunset. Um, but that, that whole engagement component is, is mm-hmm. missed, but now a lot of ATS systems are starting to implement light CRM functionality, mm-hmm. if not the, the actual email outreach itself, but at least those identified contacted interested not interested mm-hmm. understanding that aspects of it th- that aspects of a search are incredibly important especially if you want to understand time to fill so a lot of people have uh, excel spreadsheets that they keep all this stuff in mm-hmm. and the crm in the crm yeah. the crm automates it there's integrations that can be done but in excel spreadsheets you know typically where people keep it now yeah, I've, I've worked with a lot of um, organizations that everything was done in spreadsheets. And and a lot of the kind of the outlook I have on implementations comes from that, which is, you know, it's no one cares about which spreadsheet you use, if you're using a GDoc, Excel, whatever. What they care about is the data in the spreadsheet, right? Mm-hmm. Every system is basically the same thing. Nobody really cares what ATS you use. It's a matter of what data do you have in there and what are you able to pull out of it? Now, when you've got functionality differences, like that can matter, right? Mm -hmm. But from what I've seen, most people who are brand loyal to a particular system, it's because that system does what they want, not because they love the name or particular price points. So from a... HR has a... HR and recruiting both have have a long history of buying systems to put out fires and then not looking to see what else that system does and just moving to the next fire. So you end up with all of these things bolted together. They don't really talk to each other. And, and I like the fact that we're seeing more and more um, kind of um, more encompassing systems that kind of do everything, right? They bring them together. I actually really like the way Salesforce has, and not just Salesforce, other ones do it too, but I just happen to be working on a Salesforce project now um, with the app marketplace where it's like, hey, we're not going to build this, but those guys built it and you can pay them three bucks a month and just bolt them on and it's fine. Um, so I, I actually really dig that. And, and, and we're starting to see more of the technology companies mm-hmm. building functionality into their products by listening to the users. Go figure, right? I know it's amazing. It's all happening in the last, you know, like two, three years. Um, Eightfold, for example, uh, mm-hmm. Eightfold.ai. We've we've been using them since the, their inception, and they started off as kind of a sourcing, you know, management platform, and now they've got that CRM functionality. They've got e-discovery within, you know, you can discover candidates within your own system. Mm-hmm. But they did all this by listening to their customers. Yeah. And they made all the changes and they have all the integrations because they're listening to their customers. And we're seeing ATS systems being more open to API integrations with other vendors because mm-hmm. they understand that it makes the users' lives better. The, clo- yeah. the days of the closed uh, HR, HRAS and, and, and TA uh, technology, closed ecosystems, uh, it, it's going away. We're seeing yeah. more integrations, more APIs, and, and it's, it's amazing. We're seeing so much more uh, gem, uh, they're, they're, they're phenomenal, mm-hmm. uh, at doing integrations and, and partnering with, you know, the various ATS systems. So we're seeing more customers use, you know, gem eightfold and, um, even higher tool and seek out. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> so in my, my, some of my previous lives, it was interesting in talking to, um, engineering teams about building out some of the APIs and some of the integrations. Um, they always enjoyed it when I would say, you know, how how hard could this be? Like, it's all ones and zeros. You guys can count to one. Just, you know, do it. Um, engineers love when you talk to them that way is what I've learned. 
Um, but for a lot of those, you know, it's, it's a matter of the VOC piece is so important, understanding what people want. I've worked in startups that, um, you know, had customer advisory boards from day one, like help us make sure we're building the right stuff. Um, I've worked for some that said, we're not going to have a customer advisory board because we've already got a two-year roadmap that we know is critical. And, and once we get our foundation built, then we'll do customer advisory. And frankly, those organizations I've seen go way off track because you know they're not listening. They don't really want the customer feedback. They already know what they want to build. Um, my favorite ever was having a customer that said, I need this functionality. It was a great, and we took it back to engineering. And a month later, the engineers came back and they said, hey, we've got this release. We've built this thing out. And we looked at it and we said, what is this? So this is the thing you asked us about. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, well, we didn't really know what you meant. So <laughs> we built something that we thought, and I was like, yeah, this isn't even close to what they were asking for. So the connection between the, the VOC piece, voice of the customer, uh, through your customer success team or, or support or whoever, and the engineering piece, like that connection is so important um, because if you don't have that, like you waste so much time in development, so much effort in trying to put things together, um, which can be a challenge because I know a lot of developers, they just want to go build what they want to build. And, it's, you know, it's fine. This is okay. This is this is this is how we're going to be able to tie back to what we talked about before. Perfect. But I didn't articulate this. It's, it's callbacks, callbacks. relevance, mm. recruiting, and being recruited, and supporting the recruitment industry. It's all about relevance. If 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 your tool doesn't give me things that I need that are relevant, I'm going to think your tool is crap. Mm -hmm. If I'm a candidate and I'm being spammed by a recruiter about roles that aren't even closely relevant to my background or my career history, I'm not responding. Yeah. And if I'm a candidate, if, if I'm a recruiter receiving resumes from a, a candidate who isn't relevant and, and it doesn't know that they're not relevant, I'm not going to respond to them. Everything is about relevance these days, because when I got started in recruiting in 1999, the firm I joined, Lemming LeVan, which was acquired by TNP Worldwide, they still had a three by five card catalog that we had to pull wow. candidates out of. I had the chain store guide, which had three or four different editions for different types of retail and a ruler. That was how I had to go through and, and, and take notes manually. Mm -hmm. like, and then I would put them into a spreadsheet. Now with LinkedIn and hire tool and seek out and eightfold and all these different tools, I can find people easily, but are they the most relevant? And if I'm if if they aren't relevant, I shouldn't contact them. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. That's a really good summation. Thank you so much for that. I'm, that that'll get that'll get brought up again. I promise you in my conversations. That's really good. Relevance is relevance is is recruiting. That's and it and, and it's and it ties into the tech. It ties into the process. It mm -hmm. ties into the hiring managers and all the every single aspect of recruiting has to do with relevance. Ah, it's so. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's really frustrating when people don't get it. Yeah, I love that. Cool. All right, we're way over, but I think it was time well spent. Uh, this has been fun. Let's do this again sometime because uh, I we could just sit and talk history and baseball. Frankly, uh, we'll do a special episode on maybe the history of baseball. Well, any 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 opportunity to hear myself talk, I take it. I I'm with you 100. percent I'm totally. I'm totally. So I appreciate I appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I I'm happy to connect anytime. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks to everybody who hung around for this extended episode, uh, unexpectedly, but certainly welcome. Um, and we will uh, wrap up from here. As always, a big thanks to Chris Murdoch for joining us from IQ Talent. 
uh, as he uh, ran through all of those contact points earlier on. Please check him out. It's a, uh, it's a great organization uh, and a great group of people. Uh, just to circle back, that book we talked about, At Dawn We Slept, uh, that was Gordon Prange and Donald Goldstein. Uh, so check that out at your local bookseller, uh, Amazon, or wherever you pick up your historical tomes. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.